Um, anyway, today we are in our Leviticus series. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I want to tell you this is week nine of our Leviticus series. We've gone through... Um, systematically through the book of Leviticus. And what we've always said here at Celebrate Church and what I make a a mode of operation for myself is just because we come to a place that's weird in scripture doesn't mean we skip over it. Um, I want to encourage you to look deeper into the word of God because there's no telling what you could actually find. Um, Today we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 18. And I want to read for you verses 1 through 5. They'll be on the screen, but you can use our Wi-Fi and use your Bible app as well. It says this in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. It seems like he's stuck on repeat there because he keeps saying the same thing, but there's something important for us to understand. When the people have been brought out from Egypt, they're going to somewhere. They've got a destination they're heading to, and they're not yet there. And God says, I want you to obey me and follow me. Don't do like they did back in Egypt. And when you get into the land of Canaan, don't do like they do now. I want you to be separate and be my people. So here again in Leviticus 18, we see this encouragement to the Israelites that was back then, but it's also for believers today that we are supposed to be living our lives differently than the world around us. We're supposed to be God's kids, which means we're supposed to look like him in all regards. How many of you succeeded in that this week? Anybody? Okay, well, we're a work in progress, right? And the point is this, and I love this. It's kind of, it's not in my notes, but it's this thought of the Holy Spirit is the gift to the believer. After Jesus leaves the earth, he says the, the Father is going to send the comforter. He's going to send the helper. We have the Holy Spirit even today to help us to walk out a Christ-like faith and to be able to live and model for the world what God's kids look like. So the encouragement is there. Don't live like the Egyptians and don't start living like the Canaanites when you get there. True believers today should be different from the people around them. I'll remind you in case you're not familiar, chapter 17 to 26 in Leviticus is what scholars call, they call it the holiness code. There's a reason for that. In chapter 19, we start to see this repetitive phrase that says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, am holy. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to be like me, then you've got to uh, be who I am. In Leviticus 18, we find uh, the most complete collection of sexual laws and prohibited sexual relationships within what we know as the Torah or the Old Testament law. Many are self-explanatory, but I want to point out some of the logic behind them because I want you to be smarter today when you leave here. Amen? 
I want you to know that God is real and that he loves you and has a plan for your life. And it even involves the relationships you enter, right? So I want us to be smarter. I want us to have the words. The the New Testament encouragement is there from the Apostle Paul that when someone comes to ask you what it is and why you believe it, you should have an answer for every person. And so we believe a little differently, wouldn't you say, from the world around us? And there's good reason for that. But some of us shy away from talking about it. We're scared of the pressure. We're scared of political correctness infringed upon, uh, if you would think about it like that. And so sometimes we don't actually take the Lord at his word and share what's in scripture because we live in a measure of fear. But I have come to tell you today that we must not allow today's cultural norms to be the determinant for our morality. This is really important for you as a believer. You cannot allow the pressure of the outside world to push in on you. And I know that might sound cultic. It is, okay? God has a cult of people, a group of people that he has designed for different purposes and he wants them to live in such a way that they would be a light in the darkness of this world. And in case you haven't read the news lately or seen it lately, it's a dark world. Is that true? It's a dark world. God's time transcending word. Listen to me. This has been a message in my ministry from the days that I started speaking, God's word trumps all culture and all time. Just because you've done it like that and you thought it was okay doesn't mean that it is okay. We've got to use the word of God as our infrastructure or the guideline for what we believe and how we behave in our life. So the truth of the matter is, is our opinions I'm probably not going to step on your toes today, but I'm going to step on toes of people that you know today. Our opinions or desired interpretations of God's word should not be the guide for our morality. It's time the believers, the people of God, allowed God's word to be exactly what it's meant to be and to let it stand on its own and allow it to guide every, say every, every aspect of our life. You have heard it said before that, you know, well, the Bible doesn't cover this or it doesn't cover that. It does cover everything principally that we need. Even in today, thousands of years later, we can still see God's principles at work back then and how we can manage our time, our finance, our friendship in every area and aspect of our life. God has wisdom in his word and we ought to be the people who are championing, championing that word. Uh, that we are the ones who stand as a light in the darkness. So as we've moved through Leviticus, we've now gotten to chapter 18. And I will tell you, this message is for a mature audience. So I just want to make sure that there are no children in here uh, because we're going to be talking about sex and sexual relations. And I want to look at this for what it is in scripture, what it meant then and what it still means now. The title of today's message is Forbidden Sexual Unions. The Bible is very clear in many passages about these different types of behaviors that were not allowed and not okay according to God's word. It was not okay then and it's not okay now. We'll see that they actually did something pretty important. These laws and prohibitions created what we come to understand as the family unit. 
it's something that helps us understand what the immediate family unit is versus the extended family. So the immediate family back then, it was and it still is, defined by a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a brother, or a sister. Outside of these six relationships, these sheer relationships of immediacy in the family, you were allowed back then to marry within your extended family. Everybody say, that's weird. <laughs> okay? But this was something called a clan. It was a tribe of people. If you'll remember, God starts to divide up the people and get them in different regions and areas. And the whole idea behind that was if you married in the extended family, you would actually enlarge the clan, which was a great thing. But there were a couple no-nos. And these six relationships are definitely in that category. So in many cases, that was encouraged for them to marry into the extended family uh, because you were doing your part to enlarge the clan's power or its prominence. We'll talk about the forbidden unions in just a minute. I'm letting this sink into you today because it's a weird message to preach, uh, but it's God's word and we shouldn't skip over it in our devotional life or in church, right? I want to explain something to you that will help you understand the whole passage. Look at verse 6, Leviticus 18, verse 6. We read this. It says, None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. I want you to be thinking this morning about this idea, that phrase, that term, uncover nakedness. Because it's not what your mind immediately interprets. We immediately would think that would talk about someone exposing themselves or you being exposed to someone who is naked. That is not the case of what scripture is trying to show us here. In fact, the term uncover nakedness is beyond voyeurism. It's beyond just looking at someone in a transparent sort of sense. It's beyond that. It's an idiom that's used throughout the Bible that the writers actually used in order to mean have a sexual relationship. So read this verse again. None of you shall approach any one of his, we would say today, immediate relatives to have sexual relations with them. I am the Lord. So you say, well, was this a huge epidemic and a big problem back then? In the world at large, it was. And God was saying, no, 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 you are to be different than those who were in Egypt and those who you'll encounter in Canaan. In fact, in this chapter in Leviticus 18, the phrase occurs all over the place repeatedly. Your version may be worded a little bit differently, but that's what the idiom means. It means to have a sexual relationship. So if you look at verse 7, it's talking about uncovering the nakedness of one's father. This is not a, a uh, homosexual, incestual sort of thing from a son to a father. This is an incestual thing involving the mother of the family. Verse 14 talks about uncovering the nakedness of one's uncle. That actually means to have sex with your uncle's wife. Okay, I know some of you are thinking about your uncle and your uncle's wife. Don't right now, okay? Here's the deal. God is trying to show them repetitively this is not the way to behave. So back in Genesis chapter 9, there's a really, really intriguing passage of scripture that many people have wondered about for years. 
Genesis chapter 9 talks about Noah getting off the ark. It says he planted a vineyard, and it says he figured out how to make wine. Don't say amen. No, I'm just kidding. He figured out how to make wine, and one night he had too much. I know, there's some giggles. Uh, One night he had too much, the Bible says, and he got drunk. The Bible then tells us about an infraction that, that occurred by one of his sons. So Ham, bless him, his name was Ham, he committed this heinous crime against his father, and he isn't the one who's punished. Canaan, his son, is punished. So people have wondered for generations what is going on there. And you might remember Sunday school lesson, and you're thinking of the story. You can read it later. We won't go into the details today. But two of the brothers of Ham, the Bible says, go backward into the tent with a sheet over them to be able to cover their father's nakedness. What Ham did was not just merely look at his father's naked body. He didn't commit homosexual incest with his father being drunk. The truth of the matter is, if we are to understand what the word of God is saying in uncovering nakedness, it actually means he committed incestual sex with his mother. So you say, wait a second, I never thought about that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is totally obscure and you're like, this is in the Bible? Okay, look at Genesis 9 later today or this week and read the story. Here's the idea though. Ham is not the one punished. Don't you think he should be the one punished if he's the one who committed that act? The Bible doesn't say that he's punished. It says that Canaan is the product of that union and he is punished the son of that union. So if you're paying attention when you read the scripture, and I really do encourage you to do so, you might recognize I've already used that word Canaan in the message. Listen to me. The Canaanites are the people who are in the promised land who are going to be deposed and literally exterminated as God's judgment in order for the people of Israel to take over that land. Some of those people were Canaanites. Some of them were Amorites and Hittites, and there's a bunch of those in the Bible. Here's the deal. You've got to let that sink in because some people misuse God's word and they accuse him of being some murderous thug who how is a good God sending the people of Israel into a place to exterminate an entire population? God's word actually says kill everything that's living in one of the passages. When you go into the city, you kill every animal. Don't you keep anything. You kill it all, burn it all, get rid of it all. And people have looked at those passages of scripture and thought, well, gee, what, like, what is this all about? How could a good God be that way? If we read our Bible with our eyes wide open, we should remember there's always a backstory to be considered. In fact, this will help you in life. If you remember that there's always a, amen, amen. There is always a backstory to be considered. There's always stuff that you don't know that happens behind the scenes or underneath the layers that you immediately see. The idea here in Genesis 9, and we'll see other places in scripture involve the same thing, was that if you took the tribal leader, his wife or his wives, and you committed sexual acts with them, you've usurped or taken his authority, and now you've become the leader. 
The same thing happens in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Something truly despicable. When Absalom, the son of David, the, the Bible says they set a tent on the rooftop of the king's palace so that all of Israel could see as he invited one by one the king's wives into that tent to commit acts with them in order so that he would usurp the authority of his own father while he was attempting a coup. Now you say, this is so far-fetched. They were ancient people in ancient times. So this is what Ham was doing, and, and we talked about that. Canaan was the product of that relationship. I had a light bulb come on while I was reading scripture this week, and I began to look at the backstory. If you do some research about the Hittites and the Amorites and all of those others, you'll start to see a, a, a thread that goes through them. In fact, if you're familiar with Lot, his wife, she turned into a pillar of salt. The Bible says that not metaphorically, but literally. She literally hardened as a rock and could not move. He and his daughters are the only ones that are saved. The daughters make him drunk one night at a time, and they go in because they think, well, hey, we're the only ones left on the planet. We've got to have kids. And they commit incestual acts with their father Lot. The children born to them are the leaders of some of these people who we see eradicated from the promised land. So you've got to understand, God is not just a, a mean guy up there trying to kill people as a murderous thug. He's got a plan and he's exercising his own judgment in the way that he wants to, to be able to provide a space for the Israelites to live in health, in happiness, in harmony. He wants all of those things for them back then. He still wants them for us today. So I tell teenagers, Teenagers all the time. God is not the mean parent who's just like, you can't play in the street, Johnny. He's actually saying that because he knows there are cars coming and he's trying to protect you. But so often we think in our over-sexualized culture, in the ways that we look at pleasure and all of those things, we think, well, God just must not want us to have fun. No, God's actually got a plan and a design for every aspect of our lives. So now that you understand that idea a little bit better, let's go into chapter 18, verse 19. If you go there, it says this, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness. Read again that phrase, have sex with, while she's in her menstrual uncleanness. Verse 20, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. Verse 21, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech. Molech has a capital M there. He's understood to be a deity, a foreign deity that people worshipped in those days. And what they actually did as a worship act for that God was they sacrificed living children in the fire. I got to tell you, as a parent, that grips me. There is nothing that I would not do for my children to make sure that they wouldn't see harm or to endure pain and to think that people actually were so misguided to think that they were worshiping God by sacrificing a living human in a fire, no less, is just mind-numbing to me. So God is saying, they do this, but you are not they, amen? You are my people. 
So just so that you understand what Molech is understood to be, it says, and so, and in so doing, profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Verse 23, and you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Verse 24, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. So you've got to see where God is coming from in this, in this passage. He's telling them, obviously, we've hit that chord of be different because I'm different, but also be different than those around you because they have polluted, literally polluted the land with this sort of behavior, and you cannot do this. In another place in Scripture, he says, if you do it, the land itself will spit you out, and I will exile you. So we look at the exiles of the people of Israel and we think, well, God, how could you let them be exiled? It's because they lived in disobedience to God's word. So did God just do that then and he stopped doing that now? Hey, (laughs) I'm telling you what, it's enough to wake you up this morning to make you think, I wonder what situations in my life are a result of a good and a loving God who's trying to get my attention. It's very possible Because Jesus Christ, Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe in that trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same. So having said that, yes, some modes change or some operations change from time to time, the way that God does things. But I've just got to wonder, if God kicked people out of places and did things in a way of judgment then because they lived in disobedience, then how can I stand in a place of disobedience myself and expect nothing but grace? I do believe that Jesus Christ offers grace. I do believe that I don't have to kill a sacrifice and come to the temple every time that I sin, tell a lie, do something wrong, whatever it might be. I do believe that with all my heart, but I still believe that God is who he has always been. We as believers have got to see this. So to recap this short passage, there's no sex allowed during a woman's menstrual period because she is understood in those days and in that context to be ceremonially or ritually unclean. We talked about that in the beginning of our series. Um, For more information, you should check those messages out. The second thing is you can't have sex with your neighbor's wife, okay? This might not be a temptation for a lot of us, but it's, a, it's still a thing that God says today to us through his word. And hear, hear what I'm saying. Think about what Jesus says when he's asked, who is my neighbor? Everyone is. So in other words, you don't commit adultery, you cannot do that and stand in the place of a blessing with, between you and God. You stand in the place of judgment if you transgress. 
The other thing, which I don't believe happens anywhere here in America, but still crazy stuff does happen, is no child sacrifice. It's because it was the killing of a life, the murder of a life, but also because it involved idolatry. It involved serving another God or looking to another source for help and strength rather than the one true God. I said it in prayer today, and I believe it with all my heart. We serve the only true God who hears, who has ears, who listens when we pray. I love what the psalmist says. David says, he heard me and didn't turn me away. God, our God, is the only one who is true and who can hear. So he says, don't worship any other gods. The next thing that's listed there is that there is to be no homosexuality. This is something that we preach and understand through the word of God, but today's culture pushes back very heavy on that. In fact, pastors have been imprisoned and jailed in other countries for doing so. I'm going to share with you some news clippings in just a moment about some of the ideas of how far our culture has really transgressed. And another thing is this, which you think it's never entered your mind, but he puts it in the word of God. There is to be no bestiality, no sexual Uh, activity between humans and beasts. Let me be clear about something in case this message goes viral and others hear it. Our God is pro-life and pro-family. He always has been. He's the one who instituted life and family. He's the one who designed that. In fact, his whole goal is to add more people to his family so that he can have a big family. God's got this on lockdown, yet today's culture and the world around us are seeking hard to eradicate or erode the idea of what a family is and what it means to be pro-life. But God has always been this way and he has not changed. Scholars believe there's something inherent in scripture that we call, that they call, and, and I understand it to be, creation order. If you look back in Genesis in the first few chapters, you'll notice something about the creation story. That as God starts to put things in the garden and starts to set systems in place, when he does that, he does it with a a distinct and a precision like you would not believe because he gives them all the ability to reproduce after their own kind. So the tree that he puts in the garden, it has the ability to produce the same type of fruit. Now, in modern days, we know how to make hybrids of things. I was reading a thing about a a whale and a dolphin. There's a hybrid uh, animal that's now been found in Hawaii as a result of a relationship between a a whale and a dolphin. We know how we can graft in an orange to a tangerine and make a tangelo, if you're wondering what that meant. It's only because I'm a Florida boy and grew up picking oranges from orange trees. I know this stuff, but here's the deal. We understand that now, but God's original design was so that they would be able to reproduce after their own kind. That was the primary understanding and still is of what sexual activity between a husband and a wife should be. That's not to say that there shouldn't be pleasure. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Weird. Amen. Let's move on. All right. So here's the idea though. Everything produces after its kind. So when same gender sexual activity or when bestiality are involved, different species, we are defiling God's original created order. 
Secular culture, listen to me, church. Secular culture that chooses not to believe in a creator, in a God who created, whether you disagree about days or years and whatever, if you don't believe that God designed this planet and everything on it, as scripture tells us, if you don't do that, then you will be open and susceptible to believing that anything is okay and that all of these aberrant behaviors can be normalized. We're seeing that today. So in the Israelite mind, they understood the seed to be possessed by the man and planted in the woman. When it comes to sexual activity, where life could not result from that union, they would have seen that as divergent. So it was then and still is today divergent from God's plan, these behaviors. And listen to me, I've done research. Other ancient Near Eastern religions and cultures allowed for these behaviors. But the Israelites stand alone and distinct in their abhorrence of these things, in their resisting of these things, because they are not part of God's plan for his people. So I want to be clear. These sexual prohibitions are not arbitrary They weren't just chosen at chance. It's not the influence of a person writing scripture that wasn't listening to God and just put these things in there to be mean. They weren't just for the culture and the times of ancient Israel either. They are for here and now as well. God states in his word very clear parameters for us and he gives us principles that we're to follow. These same behaviors are mentioned in the New Testament. It's conclusive. It's comprehensive from end to end. It's mentioned. So we've got to understand that disobedience is sin. We don't harp on these things. We are all sinful and we're sinners. Now saved by grace works in progress. But we have got to understand that disobedience against God in any form or fashion is sin. So when we disobey his law, when we disobey his word, when we as believers in the New Testament disobey his Holy Spirit, we are living in sin to know what to do and to not do it according to God's word according to his spirit, according to his law. This is how we define sin. So the application for us today is that our society has gone off the deep end and I wanna challenge you to not be part of those who go swimming in the deep end, okay? I want us and I believe God wanted his people then and he wants us now to be the light that truly shines in the darkness. And I don't say that society's fallen off the deep end simply because I'm some, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. I am far from it. <laughs> I am a realist beyond realism, okay? I, I'm a hardcore realist. I am not this guy who's a conspiracy theorist. I've just been living with my eyes wide open, and I know you have too. We've seen in our lifetime, and you know, God forgive me for saying what I said to my parents under my breath, not to their face, way back then, because I, oh, mom, you have no idea. No, you guys are just old crotchety. You're saying stuff about this TV show and that TV show. Y'all just don't know any better. You just wait. And now I've become that guy. It's, the world is sick and it's in need of a healer. And you possess that healer. It's not you, praise God, it's not us, because we would be 
picking who we want to or choosing who we want to heal and not heal and say, nah, to be gone with you. No, God wants that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. So here are some things from the news in case you're wondering. Nathan Larson, he's 37 years old. He's running as an independent in November's election to Virginia's 10th congressional district. He's an admitted pedophile who supports legalizing incest and has written about it on blogs that he wishes he could commit it with his own daughter who's been removed and taken from him. This is real. This is not conspiracy theory stuff. It's not some hoax. This is real stuff. He got only 200 or 2,000. It was a very small number of votes, but still you think he got that many people to vote for him and he's going as a write-in on their ballot in November in Virginia. A, an out and proud pedophile who has said he believes that incest should be legalized. Churches and believers are guilty of giving into the pressure of this world as well. You've seen those things in the news too. There are things like last year, the United Methodist Church in Northern Illinois, they commissioned their first transgender deacon, otherwise known as a pastor. So in Illinois, when they chose to go this direction, they upset a lot of people, but they said, we don't care that we upset you. We're going this direction. It's a Bible, it was supposed to be a Bible-believing denomination and church. Last month, this year, Delaware became the 14th, 14th state to outlaw reparative therapy. That means that any mental health professional, believer or non-believer, that wants to assist someone with their same-sex attraction, their desires, their activity, if they want to help them, whether or not it involves biblical guidance, it has been outlawed and they will be fined or imprisoned in 14 of our states. It's not just the wackos in California. Okay, and that's, sorry, we'll strike that from the tape. Okay, it's not just the nut jobs in super liberal places. Okay, it's happening all over the place. After a search of Christian, I didn't make it any better, did I? Um, after a search for Christian denominations in North America that affirm LGBTQIA values, I'll tell you what those are defined as uh, after the message if you have a question, but it's definitely expanded its reach from LGBT to involve some other things. Christian denominations in North America alone now number more than 50. These are, these are people who haven't paid attention when they've read the word of God and understood the word of God. Now, you have got to understand me. I am not a man of hate. I may, I may be gruff and focused and short-tempered sometimes. I am not a man of hate. I am not spewing hate from this platform. I believe God wants us to love everyone, no matter what their scar, no matter what their story is, no matter what they are dealing with right now. We are to love them because love can transform them if it's Christ's love. Love can transform To be clear, we're not one of those 50 denominations. The words to the church at Sardis written in Revelation chapter three, I want you to listen to them today and you can go there, but we'll have them on the screen. 
they have a clear resonance for us today. If you'll remember in the chapters, in the first part of Revelation, the angel of the Lord is coming and he's sharing these messages to the churches. And the message to the church at Sardis, which was a city then, it says this in verse three, remember then what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We've got to stay awake and remember what we've received and heard and keep it and repent so that God does not come against us. That same message rings true for us today. So here's the deal. We're to love everyone and let Jesus fix them. Not the other way around. I want you to think about that. If we can make that the measure of our, of our reach into the lives of other people, that we would love them with Christ's love, which does call them higher and does call them to transformation and call them to change, regardless of whether they're a liar, an adulterer, anything in the mix, a murderer, anything. God wants to transform your life, and he still wants to do that today for you, even if you've been gone from that life of sin for a long period of time, and you've been church. He still has work to do in you. And I don't know exactly what areas of life that's in. I know that it's not easy to let him work on you. I know that he's worked on me through my wife and I resist that at every turn. I know that when God, say amen, it's okay. Um, I know that when God sends some people into your life, we have nothing recent to harp on. So that's a good thing to talk about. Um, but God's got a work to do and he uses people in your life like your mom, <laughs> teenagers, I'm looking at you on the back row, like your spouse. He still has a work to do in all of us. When we allow the pressure of our current culture to dictate our moral direction, we end up deposing God and setting culture and society on a pedestal that's taller or higher than him and that becomes our God. So we've got to be really careful, church, because as much as love gets talked about these days, inside and outside of the church, and we get called names and we're ridiculed for believing some sort of ancient document and these ancient principles, here is the deal. Love leads to transformation, and it always has, because God-empowered love changes lives. Jesus said something so powerful to the woman who was caught in adultery. And I, I've, I've visualized this story that's presented in the, in the Gospels. There are Pharisees waiting in, in wait in an alleyway, looking, peering through a window to see this woman commit adultery, run in, grab her, throw her, maybe even just wrapped in a bedsheet into the middle of the street and say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And Jesus does that historical thing we've talked about, bends down and begins to ride in the sand a little bit mysterious to most of us. But then he says something so loving to that woman. He says, go and sin no more. Because the, the power of Christ and the love of Christ transforms our life and the Holy Spirit wants to enable you to live clean and pure lives without sin. I'm developing a series of messages for the fall um, that I'm really excited about sharing with you. The working title for that series is called Stand Your Ground. 
The reason why I believe that this is important is because I really believe that there are some practical ways that each one of us can stand our ground and do so while loving well in a culture of compromise. You can still love people without accepting all of their behavior. My wife does. She loves me. Right? I mean, come on. Sometimes we think of this so far-flung and far-fetched. And here's the deal. The pressures from those people that fit into the category of what we said, all those initials earlier, the, the mandate has been for them to push in on the edges of the church so that we can't say anything because anything we say will be super judgmental and that means we're just nearsighted and we can't really live like that today. Come on, we're just old old school, and we need to get up with the new school. But we've got to see how to love well in a culture of compromise. I believe it's possible, and I also believe it's necessary. Would you stand with me and the worship team if you'd join me? Back in 2015, the, uh, the Supreme Court took on and and made a decision which essentially legalized the ability for same-sex relationships in all 50 states as a federal sort of thing. And back then in those days, we published and I gave a statement that was recorded and still on our website. You can see a printed transcript of it too. But I finish out that statement with something that I was reminded this week in the preparation of this message that I need to share with you today. I really believe this with all of my heart that Celebrate Church will continue to believe as we always have, scripture defining marriage solely in terms of the union of a man and a woman, and that scripture prohibits same-sex intercourse, will never let go of the belief that Christ died for all. Amen? We'll continue to behave as we always have, and even more so now, with love and compassion toward a world full of broken people. We should never forget we are all broken people. Their brokenness isn't any sicker or uglier or grosser than your sickness and your brokenness. That's what the the plain gospel truth is. We are all sinners in need of God's grace and no one is immune to sin and its effects. No one is outside the reach of the grace of God. I put here in the statement, Celebrate Church will continue to boldly love and unashamedly bring others to Christ through our life, our relationships, and by verbally communicating the good news to those around us. We'll continue to share the truth of the powerful life change that's available to all who are bound by sin because we believe that the God we serve has always been a deliverer. He has always been a rescuer and he'll continue to do so. And we as his people have a role to play in this and sharing this truth with others. And what we'll continue to do is offer hope to a hurting world in the powerful name of Jesus, who's the only begotten son of the living God and the only way by which anyone can be saved. First Peter 3, 15 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So church, we have got to genuinely love all people. We've got to still proclaim God's word in the midst of all of that. We've got to still try our best with the Holy Spirit's help to be able to live holy lives. Let us be sober-minded in these crazy days that we live in. 
Let us live with our eyes wide open because we're expecting Christ's return and he doesn't yet have the family he wants. Amen. You've got a role to play in sharing your faith with someone this week. Don't put it off. Don't be that guy or that girl that says, well, somebody else will mention it to him. Somebody else will bring it up to him. No, be bold in your faith in these days because they're dark days and God wants us to live differently than the world around us. Would you close your eyes? You say, Pastor, how are you gonna, how are you gonna end this message? Here's how I'm gonna end it. I'm gonna ask you if you need prayer. If you need prayer for any reason, whatever it is, I want you to just take the prayer request cards that are in the seat backs right behind you or in front of you. And I want you to take just a moment while the worship team sings. And I want you to write down your prayer request. Church is a place to be prayed for. And we do this every week. We, we offer prayer for people and individuals. Sometimes people respond. Sometimes they're a little hesitant and scared to. So today I thought, let's get prayer request cards and let's have everyone, because every one of us has something that we can be prayed for. And when you take that, write that prayer request on that card. And at the end of the service, you can drop it in the giving box on the wall back there by the doors, or you can drop it at one of our prayer stations. What we're gonna do in just this next moment is the worship team's gonna sing a chorus for us. And I want us to just give this moment to the Lord. Maybe you came in here today hurting with something else weighing heavy on your mind. And you say, Pastor, thanks for leading us through this strange chapter of the Bible, but at the same time, I'm still in the need of prayer. Come meet me for prayer at one of these prayer stations. I'd love to pray for you as well.